Welcome to another edition of Who Says No, the NBA podcast where we mostly talk about trades, but today we're going to kind of try something a little different. We'll see how it goes. We're kind of uncertain. We're, we're figuring this one out as we go. Colin, we're going to talk about All-Star. The reserves were announced tonight. We know the whole rosters. The draft is coming up. Before we dive into our topic, how do you feel about the All-Star picks? I'm outraged, Sam. There's just so many just deserving people who were not put on the list. I mean, come on. Devin Booker didn't make it. Why don't you give me the whole list without naming a single person you would take off? <laughs> Devin Booker, Mike Conley, Bam Adebayo, Fred Van Vliet, Chris Middleton. I could go on. De'Aaron Fox, Trey Young. All these guys should be on the roster. I have not heard you say Derrick Rose. I have not heard you say TJ McConnell. I have not heard one Max Struess mention from you on this podcast. Like, the number of all-stars didn't get selected. It's a total I mean, upgrade. I, I am mainstream media, so it makes sense that I'm not mentioning those guys. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, we're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, in all honesty, like, I, I can't get into these conversations. I know you have some thoughts on limiting the rosters to 12 spots, but, like, everyone on the team should be an all-star. There are lots of guys who are not on the team who should also be all-stars, but I'm not going to sit here and say one guy should make it over another. It's just too hard. So congratulations to everyone that made it, and hopefully – you know, maybe some guys decide not to play and we get a couple extra all-stars in there. I wish I could be as certain about anything as a local media guy or a local Twitter influencer is that their guy made it. Like, you look at Pacers Twitter tonight and it's like, people are treating the DeMontis Sabonis snub like Michael Jordan didn't make the Hall of Fame. Like, they're (laughs) treating it like it's the greatest outrage in basketball history. You go through the fan bases, like, Obviously, this is a national thing now, too, with Devin Booker, where people are complaining, oh, the goalposts are changed. You know, Utah fans are upset about Mike Conley. Heat fans are, in my mind, justifiably upset about Bam Adebayo. Like, every single fan base thinks that it has an all-star. And you know what? I kind of get it, because if I watched, I don't know, the Oklahoma City Thunder every night, which doesn't seem like a super fun experience, at least relative to some of the other teams out there, I'd look at Shea Gildas-Alexander as the only guy who can generate offense and think, like, He must be an all-star. He's the only good player on our team. He's the best player on our team. But there are only 12 spots. I disagree with that. I think there should be 15. But there are only 12. And you know what? You can be an all-star worthy player and be the 13th best player in your conference. Those two things can be true. We're not going to spend too much time on that. What we're going to talk about today are a couple of the players that either made or just missed out on the all-star team and kind of just do a little bit of A, a refresher on their long-term, I don't know how to put it, marital status with their team. Um, oh, that's an excellent way to put status it. with their team. Like we're going to look at a couple of guys who we're going to say, does the perception of them being an all-star matter? Does this change their situation with their team at all? What does their future look like? Et cetera, et cetera. These are going to be like fringier guys. LeBron is pretty happy with the Lakers. We don't think he's moving on anytime soon, but there are a couple of guys that we think are in pretty interesting situations. And the first one I want to talk about is, the one that I got ratioed for suggesting wasn't an all-star, and that's Julius Randle. How dare he is, you? He is the best player on a pretty decent, at least by record standpoint, Knicks team, and he made the all-star team as a result. I would argue that maybe being the best player on a not-so-great Knicks team is not much of an accomplishment, but that's an argument for another day. He is extension eligible after the season. The way his contract is formatted, the Knicks have a team option. They could also waive him and only eat $5 million in guaranteed money. We don't think that that's going to happen at this point, obviously. But I think this is a good chance for us to kind of look in on the Knicks and say, 
They now have a player on their team who is an all-star. Julius Randle is playing in the all-star game. In the most literal sense, the Knicks have an all-star. So what does that mean for them? Does that mean that they have a cornerstone guy that they can build around? Does does this make them think we have somebody that we can sell high on? What's going through the Knicks' mind with Julius Randle right now? Colin, what are your immediate thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, and this is kind of why we talked about this or decided to talk about this on the podcast is like, what does making the all-star team change your perception of a player? And more importantly, does it change a team's perception of the player in terms of how they value that guy, you know, whether they see him as a long-term piece? And if we're talking about Julius Randle, first of all, just, you know, he's having a great year and a, a better year, particularly in the playmaking department. I think that's really what separated him. He's always been, you know, Sam's favorite word, a 2010 guy um, over the last few years. But he's really separated himself this year with being able to pass a career high 5.5 assists per game up from three the last couple of years. So um, they're running their offense through him. They're winning more games than I think pretty much, you know, well, I won't say everyone, but a lot of people expected then again, you look at their record and they're in seventh in the East, but they're two and a half games out of 13. So a lot could still happen. But at this point, Julius Randle has led a, a pretty surprisingly good team to, um, you know, a pretty good record. But moving forward, I guess, is the question, right? And to me, my initial thought is with a guy like Randall and looking at the rest of the Knicks roster, you think sell high. At least that's what I think immediately is I don't know. They drafted somebody to replace him. Let's put that out there. They have the guy that they picked that they expect to be quote unquote, the next Julius Randall in Obi Toppin. It's going to be kind of awkward if Randall doesn't go anywhere. What do you do with Toppin at that point? Right. And uh, like going into this season when I'm, I thought about the Knicks and this goes all the way back to the, the Tom Thibodeau hire, which is, you know, what are the Knicks trying to be? Are you trying to be a playoff team, which it, clearly they are by not only their coaching hire, but the way they've kind of managed this season? Or are you trying to go into a rebuild mode where you see what you have with your your younger players and try to get some lottery balls? So they, they clearly picked one direction there. And now I guess the question is. Or now that they've picked the playoff direction, is that what they're going to stick with? Or is there still room to say, hey, look, I don't think Julius Randle, despite being all-star, is going to be the guy that takes us to the level we want to be at. Let's see what the market is for him, which we can talk about if you want to, which might not be as great as they hope. But um, yeah, go ahead. The Knicks are about to turn back into a punter. I'm just going to be honest about that. They are the luckiest freaking team in the NBA and a lot of different metrics. I'll just throw out a couple. What do you think opponents are shooting on wide open threes against the Knicks? 22%. Okay, you're off, but (laughs) right idea. I went 32.5%. It's the lowest percentage in the NBA. Now, could you argue that a team that closes out as hard as the Knicks does and just generally plays as hard defensively as the Knicks do are affecting shooters mentally? Okay, maybe a little bit. 32.5% is ridiculous. I'm sorry, that is not sustainable no matter what. Eventually, opponents are going to start making their open threes against them. Julius Randle, I just want to throw this out there to you. His three-point percentage coming into this season for his career, 29.5%. This season, 41%. Now, there are two possibilities here. Either Julius Randle went from a non-shooter to one of the best shooters in the NBA overnight. Hey, we got to mention it. Technically, it's possible. Or he, like just about every other shooter in the NBA, is having an outlier season in part because there are no fans. What seems likelier? Probably the latter. 
He's shooting 47.7%, I believe, on mid-range jumpers. That's way up from his normal total. Like, don't get me wrong. There are areas in which Julius Randle has genuinely improved his defensive effort. It's night and day compared to where it was before. His playmaking, I mean, just the willingness to pass compared to last year, it's night and day. Like, there are areas where Julius Randle's gotten a lot better. He is not this good. He is not going to shoot this well for the rest of his career. The Knicks are not going to get this kind of shooting luck on defense for the rest of their season. If I were them, I would sell high. The issue is, who's buying high on Julius Randle? Who feels like they're a Julius Randle away from something good? Who says yes is your your question. Right. Like, can you think of a team that really wants Julius Randle? Like, don't get me wrong. I think he can definitely help teams, but he's probably going to seek a pretty expensive contract after this season. Do you want to be paying that given his track record? Absolutely not. Like, can you think of a team that wants him? I can't. Besides the Knicks anyway. What I think is going to happen, what I think is the likeliest outcome by far is the Knicks talk themselves into this and they say, wow, this was a feel good season. We have an all-star. This is great. Let's extend him and try to use him to recruit other people. And then he turns back into something closer to Julius Randle, at least the Julius Randle we knew before this season moving forward. And he's not an all-star next year. He's not close to a max level guy next year, but they're stuck with a hefty contract that they signed. Given that this is the Knicks, I think that's the likeliest outcome. You say given this is the Knicks, but to get to their credit, you know, Leon Rose in the new front office, World Wide West, who's apparently running things, is um, gone in a slightly more frugal, smarter direction. So do you think that that bears, you know, anything on this Randall decision where, you know, maybe the Knicks regimes of the past might have locked him in and said, this is our guy, whereas maybe this one's a little savvier, or maybe not, you know, going to jump to conclusions based on a couple of really good months. My response is that the Knicks made the first win-now trade of the season when they traded for Derrick Rose. Like, the Lakers didn't make the first win-now trade. The 76ers, oh, I guess James Harden trade is the first win-now trade of the season. But like, nah, that's, the a, that's traditional, an yeah. The first traditional win-now trade of the season, the like, here's a draft pick for an older guy that's going to help us right now. The Knicks were first. Like, they clearly seem to think, A, we are pretty decent, and B, we want to be pretty decent. Don't get me wrong. I think this front office is smarter than the one before it. I'm still not sold on the fact that they have the best long-term interests of the team at heart. I think they're going to look at this Julius Randle situation and say, maybe we haven't found our star, but we have found a player that we think is going to be a key part of our next great team. I'm just not sold. I'm sorry. I think he's a much better player than he was. I think he's definitely been, he's been a very good player this year. There's a reason he was in all-star consideration in the first place. I just don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, and the, I think the question with Randall is really, like, moving forward, like, you know he's not going to be the best player on a championship team or anything that approximates a championship team. So if you do keep him around, do you envision him as a guy who can be a complementary piece? Like, is this playmaking only – does this playmaking only work because he has the ball in his hands so much or because his usage rate is so high? If he's playing off the ball, what does that look like? Um, you know, is he going to be a guy who who is rebounding as hard when he's not getting as many shots on the offensive end? So uh, I think those are the questions you kind of need to ask yourself if you're the Knicks front office is how is this guy going to play with others if we are able to, you know, uh, go out and get a decent free agent or, or one of our, you know, R.J. Barrett turns into a star type of player, which, you know, jury's still out there, but who knows? 
Um, but I think that's really the question moving forward, because I don't think anyone's going to delude themselves into thinking that Julius Randle is going to be this perennial all-star guy um, and lead you to a championship. So really the question is, how is he going to play if and when we get the stars that we want to actually be competitive? I think the ideal version of the like quote unquote star Julius Randle, the one that you know can function with another very good player, is like a higher usage, higher scoring Draymond Green, where he's operating a lot as like something resembling a point guard, where he's at the top of the key while other guys move and he's making reads. He's also playing pick and roll and making short roll passes when whoever his star guard is gets blitzed. Like I think that is the version that his skill set suggests would be the best version of him. I don't know if he can do that because basically they're running everything through him this year in such a way that like you look at his assists and don't get me wrong, the passes are good. They're good reads, but you find yourself thinking like this is a pass you make when you've had the ball for five seconds. And you're thinking what is like, you've had time to read the floor in a way that say the third best player on a team may not have the same chances to do. Like, I don't know if he's somebody who's going to make the really quick read stuff that you have to do if you're not the number one option on your team. So I would say I'm skeptical. That's where I'm coming down on this. I would say I would probably make Julius Randle play out next season and not extend him. That's my perspective. It's not what I think the Knicks are going to do. I think they're going to extend him. And what you're really saying, I mean, you've said it a couple of times now, is they need a a really good guard. Like, they just Julius Randle can't be your leading assist guy and the guy who's facilitating your offense if you want to be successful. Like, he needs to be your secondary playmaker, uh, maybe even third playmaker, but um, I don't, you know, they don't have his one of those guys on His playmaking should be a luxury. It shouldn't be a necessity. Is, is Emmanuel quickly that guy? Is he going to be getting trapped and dumping it off to Randall at the free throw line to make plays? Is that going to be your guy? I'm holding out hope. There's <laughs> like a, you know what? I mean, we, we work for CBS Sports, CBS Sports. That's the, the screenshot that gets shared constantly. The D plus grade or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, yeah, we got to yeah. own up to that. I thought he had no chance at being anything particularly special. Now I'm going to say two to 3% chance. Like there's something there. My draft, comp, my draft comp for Emmanuel quickly was Langston Galloway. So that tells you what I thought of him. Emmanuel quickly is already better than Langston Galloway. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I was, yeah. I was wrong. I also thought LaMelo Ball was going to suck. So, hey, who am I? I can't, I don't even know what to say to that. I, I'm going to leave you alone on that one. I think you've suffered enough. Wouldn't be the first time. I, I, I wrote an article on my old blog when I was first starting called Don't Draft Russell Westbrook. So I, no, I, the first I've got on, some whiffs under my belt. On my old website, which no longer exists, thankfully, literally the first story that I wrote, aside from the like, I'm Sam, here's what you should expect out of this blog. The first story that I wrote was Chris Middleton is the buck you should all obsess over, not Giannis. So, I mean, you were half right. You just forget the second part. Just just say the first I look part. at that. I look at that headline like I look at the Trey Young Luca trade where don't get me wrong. The Hawks should have taken Luca like Luca is better than Trey Young. But why should they care what happened to the pick that they didn't make? They were dead right about Trey Young. And that's what matters. I was dead right about Chris Middleton. And that's what matters. It's a good point. I love it. Yeah. And it was like it was like a, when De'Aaron Fox and Frank Mason were rookies and Frank Mason started off his first like week. He was like better than De'Aaron Fox. It was like, oh, my God, Frank Mason's the guy. I was like, wait a second. Calm so down. what you're saying is Tyrese Halliburton is overrated because he's a good rookie. That's it. You know, show show me the long term. God, I love Halliburton. He's so good. He's the best. Can we get him on the all star team? I don't think it'll be too long. 
Anthony Davis injury replacement? Let's just vote him in. It's a travesty it's, if he doesn't make it. Just this is my theory. I don't know that this is just I'm just going to put this out there. I think Mike Conley is going to get the Anthony Davis spot because I think Adam Silver is perfectly aware of all the bad press he and the league have gotten for having this all-star game in the first place. So I think he's going to view this all-star replacement as a chance to like write some sort of cosmic wrong and get some good press. That's my thought. I, I don't know. Like once LeBron decreed that it should be Devin Booker, it's probably going to be Devin Booker, but I don't know. I think from a PR perspective, it should probably be Mike Conley. I personally, I think it'll be Booker and I'm almost, I'm almost at the camp that like they won't name Conley as a replacement because then He's like, you know, for people who don't know, he's like widely known as like the best like contemporary player who has never made an all-star game. And it's almost like cheapens it. He's like, oh, but he was an injury replacement. So I don't know if if they're going to want that. I think it, it kind of cheapens the the selection. I don't, wasn't Damian Lillard an injury replacement his first time? I uh, vaguely it's possible. That. And I, I think DeMarcus Cousins was at one point. I think they... And, and honestly, like, I, I bet those guys use that as motivation. Like, oh, I'm a replacement? All right. You know, those guys get, they're, well, they're all so petty, and that's what makes them so good. I don't know. Like, my feeling is I think he'd just be happy to go there once and have the experience. I think yeah. people would and it's stop. like, and no fans. It's like, ah, oh, this is like the worst all-star game to get picked to, and I'm an injury replacement. Um, we have gotten very far off topic. Next we'll talk player, about all-stars. That counts. We are. Well, listen, we're going to talk about Mike Conley a little more on, in a little bit. Next player we wanted to talk about, though, was Zach Levine. Mm. Quietly, nobody really talks about this. He's going to be a free agent in 2022. Like, he is not far off from having to make a decision about his future. He really vigorously campaigned to make All-Star last year. He obviously didn't. He made it this time around. Good for him. Yay. Another guy that I didn't personally pick. But where we're tra- we're trying to figure out now is, from his perspective, is making the all-star team enough for him to say, you know what? I'm happy in Chicago. I like being the lead dog. Or is he thinking, I'm an all, I, I only, it only took me so long to make the all-star team because I'm playing on this garbage roster. Get me out of here. Levine, free agent 2022. I'll just, I'll give you this broad question. Is he going to be a bull at that point? Like, are they going to trade him, or is he going to sign elsewhere? I'm saying start of the 2022-23 season, like after his contract expires. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to regret that immediately after saying it, but only because I think he was kind of, you know, along with the rest of the Bulls roster, I think everyone was kind of wondering what the new front office was going to do and which guys they were going to trade and which guys they were going to keep. And I just think now it's become so clear that Levine is a cut above everybody. So like Kobe White had a great end to last season. People thought he might take a leap. He's not, you know, sending the world on fire this season. He's fine. But I don't think they would be committed to him over Levine. I don't think they're committed to Lowry and Maybe Patrick Williams, if he continues to develop, Wendell Carter's in and out of the lineup. So it's just like, I feel like by default, like the Bulls are just going to do everything they possibly can to keep this guy. And from Levine's perspective, the guy wants to get buckets, man. And if he's if he's making All Star teams and in All NBA consideration, uh, I don't think he's gonna mind being the the number one guy like by far on a team that's you know probably not that good. I just don't think at this point in his career he's really concerned with that. I think he just wants to show what he's got and his incredible offensive package and kind of develop as much as he can. But uh, so to you know that's a roundabout way of answering your question. But I think he'll be a bull. What about you? 
coming into this season, I think we all sort of had it in our head that like, there's no way they're keeping Zach Levine and Kobe White because there's just so much overlap there, right? Like they're both fundamentally speaking, just one-on-one scorers. That's their game. Now, I think a lot of us, myself included, came into the season thinking Kobe White is in his second year. He's young. He's cheap. Zach Levine is two years away from free agency. They could trade him and get something good for him. Now would be the time to do that. I think that ship has sailed. I think they have to be thinking right now, the two core pieces of this team that we have to keep no matter what are Levine and Patrick Williams. I don't know what that means for Kobe White. Maybe it means you trade him. I don't know what it means for Laurie Marketing. Maybe you let him go and restrict free agency. I don't know, but if I'm the Bulls right now, I think I would personally not feel great about having Zach Levine as my best player, but he's the only player on that team, frankly, that's like really worth something in the grand scheme of things. Patrick Williams might get there, but like Kobe White's not going to be an all-star, right? Like we don't think he is like Wendell Carter's fine. Like he's a, maybe a good starter, I guess. Like Laurie Markkinen is probably going to be a better scorer when he gets onto another team, but He's not somebody that I'm thinking, oh, wow, like he's a core part of my team. Levine is the one that matters. Everybody else, all you should be thinking is, how can we use these guys to supplement him? And clearly, I think they could use more defense on that team. Like Thaddeus Young revival aside, I I guess besides Patrick Young, I don't know what their long-term defensive outlook is. That'd be right now. I don't know. I don't know where we stood on this when we did the Lonzo Ball pod. Lonzo Ball with Zach Levine would be an awesome fit. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. I think that's the like off ball defense extra passing point guard that he would need. Now I do still think that they're like, there's no scenario now where they're getting into championship contention because Zach Levine is, I don't know, the 30th best player in the NBA, 35th, something like that. Like some number that is inconsequential in the championship search. But I think if you're the bulls, you have to think we're starting somewhere unless you're genuinely going to tear it down and tank, which I don't think they're going to do. You kind of have to try to keep him, and he gets to be an all-star in Chicago. He gets to try to recruit people to a big market. Like, I see the appeal. If I were him, I'd want to go compete for a championship, but I think this matters to him, just clearly based on how much campaigning he did last season. Yeah, and if you think about it, it's almost, it's kind of the same question with Randall. It's like, they could both be your number one guy, and you'd be a fringe playoff team, and, you know, great, congratulations. But uh, Levine at least profiles, you know, he hasn't proven it so far in his career, but he profiles as a guy who should be able to play alongside another ball dominant guy. He's a pretty good three point shooter. Um, he's gotten to be a better passer maybe this year. Um, he could be a great cutter and I think he's actually scoring a lot more on cuts this year. So, um, he seems like a guy who could play with a star if they ever get that chance. And, you know, Patrick Williams is great. Another guy who can kind of fit in a number of different lineups. So I think I think that's the type of player you want and he can go out and get you 40 a night if you want, or hopefully once you get a more complete roster, he can be a guy that kind of slides in, um, you know, whether he's taking a lesser role as your top scorer or whether he's sliding in as a second scorer somewhere down the road. So I don't know. I think he's, he's malleable enough to, to want to keep around no matter what. I am not going to perpetuate the Anthony Davis Chicago rumors that, made no sense last season. Like why was he leaving the best team in the NBA for his hometown lottery team? But is that a thing where people saying that that was like a, it was a non non thing, I guess it was sort of like Curry to Charlotte where like people were saying it, but I don't know if they really believed it. I do think Zach Levine would kind of be a perfect lead guard on a team whose best player is a big man. Like he had this with Carl Anthony towns before his prime. Like 
I think if he's the guy who's like dribbling a lot and just controlling an offense, but he's clearly not the best guy on that team, I think that would work. I think if he was paired with another perimeter star, it would kind of get pretty dicey. Like you told you, we were talking off pod and you were talking about just the general comparison between Zach Levine and James Harden. And one thing they have in common is neither of them really likes to move off the ball. Levine's gotten better as you've noted, but like, I don't know. Are you going to stick Zach Levine in the corner and tell him to shoot? I don't think he would be super satisfied with that. So yeah. for now, I sort of think Chicago's best player on their next genuinely competitive team is TBD. It's not Zach Levine. I'm sorry. Zach Levine is never going to be the best player on the championship team. Come at me, Zach Levine hive. I don't care. Ouch. But, you know, you know what this has really taught me though, is like being a GM is freaking hard, man. Or, yeah. or you know, president of basketball operations, whatever. This decision-making is like, you have to look so far in the future and it's like, okay, let's say we, we don't think Levine is our guy. You still have to think, well, what if we don't get anyone else? It's like, we need to have somebody who could score. Honestly, you know? I would go down tanking. That's what what? I no, team. I'm shocked. Please, uh, all mark I would do mark is, this down. Sam wants a team to tank. My whole life, I wanted to be the general manager of the Knicks and I wanted to do exactly what Sam Hinkie did. And I saw Sam Hinkie do it and I saw it worked. And I just sort of wiped my hands of it and said, okay, I can go be a writer now because I've seen it. I know that my strategy was correct. If you have nothing else to do, you should tank. But I digress. That's like when I came up with with this really great idea for a book. It was about Neanderthals and Cro-Magnons and how Neanderthals uh, were, you know, physically superior, but they ended up losing out. And Cro-Magnons became, uh, you know, eventually became Homo sapiens, the modern humans. It was already written. The guy named William Golding, the guy who wrote Lord of the Flies, it's a book called The Inheritors. And I'm like, well, I don't have to write this because somebody else already wrote it. But I know it was a good idea. Here is your every episode reminder that Colin went to Yale. Hey, there you go. When when he gets his basketball reminder, like he has to turn it into here is the evolutionary homo sapien, whatever Cro-Magnon thing. This is you went to Yale. That's that's the point I want to get across. It's like um, you ever are you on TikTok? They they do these things. They're like uh, you went to Yale and you're on TikTok. You have to stay you up on the trends when when you're my age, Sam. You have to stay up on the trends with what the youth are doing. But they have these things where they'd be like like tell me you're a Lakers fan without telling me you're a Lakers fan. So like my goal every podcast episode is to tell people that I went to Yale without saying that I went to Yale. If we're talking about fiction that we came up with. I came up with two very, very important works the past decade. Number one, this is the end. I came up with that when I was like eight years old. I was just always, yes, not to the extent that they did. I have just always been fascinated by the idea of what do celebrities do during the, during the apocalypse. Like if you were on Noah's Ark and there was like, I don't know, however many people you could fit on. I know they did two of every animal, but like, I don't know, maybe they do two people from every TV show or something. I was always just fascinated by the idea of like, at what point during the apocalypse do celebrities lose their celebrity status? I'm just fascinated by that idea. And then they do this as the end. And it's basically just five idiots living in a house during the end of the world. Great. Movie. The other one is the good place. I'm just, I'm very mad about that. Every idea they came up with was something that I had thought in my bed at 4am and then they turned it into a TV show and it's gone forever. Those are, those are some pretty like higher order concepts. So congratulations for coming. Um, up with those. You've seen what time I file stories. I'm in bed at like 5 a.m. What do you think I'm thinking about during the, at those hours? 
anything but basketball. After you turn the story in, the last yep. thing you want to think about is basketball. I also came up with uh, Blaze Pizza, the idea, you know, I was like, Chipotle, what if they did that with pizza? And then boom, they did it. So, I mean, we're just Somebody, geniuses. Yeah. Everyone's stealing our ideas. We should be billionaires, you know. Somebody in one of my college business classes came up with the idea for Chipotle after Chipotle existed. Like we were just, I can't remember, it was like the second class and we were going around the room and like the teacher was like, just give me one business idea. And somebody was like, okay, I have this idea. It's called Burrito Blender. Where what you do is you get a bunch of ingredients and you assemble the burrito on a line. And the teacher was like, yeah, you do that at at Chipotle. Back of the line, idiot. Um, We have, again, gotten very far off track. Those were good. Those are good. Good distractions, though. Next player. Another guy that people don't seem to realize is inching pretty close to free agency. DeMar DeRozan, on an expiring contract, will be a free agent this offseason. He plays for a Spurs team that, by record, is surprised. If you look at the point differential, it's not great. Now, his lineups have generally not been great. The Spurs kill people with their great bench. But a lot of that is just, well, Marcus Aldridge isn't good anymore. Greg Popovich is, he has a lot of great qualities as a coach. Lineup assembly has not always been one of them. DeMar DeRozan has been like, every year, I guess, the analytics community comes out and says like, oh, DeMar DeRozan is so overpaid and I'm one of these people. DeMar DeRozan, if he hit free agency, he'd only get like the mid-level exception. He's not a star, yada, yada, yada. We're finally going to get an answer to this because DeMar DeRozan is playing very well this season to the point where he might be the best free agent in this class outside of Kawhi. And like, maybe there are one or two restricted guys that I'm forgetting. So at what point do we kind of just have to start to say, Damar is going to get another pretty hefty contract this, this off season. And like, are people going to like really pitch him? Like, is Damar going to go on a tour? Is he going to be sought after? What are we thinking about Damar's future? Well, I'm going to kind of bring it to the, the topic of this podcast where does DeMar not being named an all-star? First of all, I'm on basketball reference, and they list him as a power forward this season, which is very concerning. But anyway, that's not here or there. Um, the end designations, like when they had Kavon, he is a forward. It's weird. Everything's weird. There's no positions in the NBA, so who cares? But anyway, does, does the fact that DeMar DeRozan didn't make the all-star team, I guess I'll put this a different way. If he had made the all-star team, would that change not only how the Spurs view him, but his possible commanding salary once he does hit the free agent market. Do you think that makes any difference or people just kind of know who DeMar DeRozan is? I think DeMar has such a track record and has made the all-star team so many times that I think it was more about performance with him. I think there would have been a subset of fans who would have come out and said like, wow, DeMar's still doing it at this age. And I think there would have been a group from the analytics community where if he had made it, they would have said, well, he's still overrated, but he's at least been better this year. I mean, the playmaking is through the roof. He's averaging, I think, seven assists per game. Like he's taking more threes now. More threes does not necessarily mean a lot of threes, but to a game, baby, to a game for him, that's meaningful. Yeah, um, the mo- that was uh, his last year in Toronto. He shot three point six, and then when he got to San Antonio, he basically stopped shooting threes altogether. So, hey, progress, baby kind of, steps. He must have. Oh, I mean, and it, I guess Pop knew he was so unhappy about leaving Toronto. And it was just like, you know what, man, do what you want. Like, we, we don't care. We're not we're not one of these newfangled Chuck three teams. Um, I'm thinking about destinations for Demar. I kind of love the idea of him going back to Toronto. Wouldn't that oh, be fun? Yes. What if like, I'm in. they have something resembling max space and they have nobody to use it on? 
unless Kawhi, you know, shocks us all and says, I'm going home. What if they just used that cap space and reunited Kyle and DeMar? Now, somebody would have to come off of the bench because Fred VanVleet is better than both of them at this point. But I don't know. I, I think that would be pretty fun. I With Nick Nurse, I don't know if someone would have to come off the bench. I'm thinking Lowry, VanVleet, yeah, no, yeah. OG, DeMar, Siakam. That's a lineup right there. Or maybe they just say, like, one of you guys is going to win six man of the year. That's what it's going to be. But we're going to close with Siakam at center and Ananobi at power forward. Like, I don't know. That wouldn't be super, that wouldn't be that crazy. I mean, they don't really have a great one-on-one score. Now, Fred Van Vliet has gotten a lot better. And, like, you catch Fred Van Vliet on the right night, and he's just one of the most unstoppable players in the NBA. Now that's not an every-night thing, and that's why he didn't make the All-Star team. But, like, I think we're now at a point with DeMar and with this really weak 2021 free agent class where we kind of have to say, you know what? He's a very useful player. He's somebody that can help teams. We might have to start thinking of him as one of the star free agents of 2021, where all these teams that accumulated cap space, like, do the Heat have to start thinking, maybe the guy we chase is DeMar DeRozan. Is DeMar DeRozan better than Victor Oladipo right now? I'd say the answer is yes. Maybe Dallas says, you know what, we need another shot creator. Why don't we go get DeMar? Like, these aren't crazy conversations to be having, which is wild considering the ambitions of some of these teams in the past. These teams thought they were getting Giannis. Now they have to really adjust their expectations. I agree. And I, I think, you know, I, I think what you've been mentioning about like the analytics stuff, I think that's probably the only impediment here is, is what does this guy look like on a roster? And if he is not, I mean, he's never going to be a prolific volume three-point shooter. And if he's not your main guy, you're not running the offense through him and he can't really hit spot up threes, how is that affecting your offense? But that the idea of like, him being like a super six man is really, really intriguing, but I don't know. I guess you're better with this stuff than I am, but like what, what kind of salary is he looking at? Like as a free agent, like he's making what? 28 million now. It's like, he's at, he's at basically the max right now. He'll be signing for his age 32 season. Like there's a school of thought, like there are going to be people that are out there thinking like the way that they thought with Gordon Hayward too. Like, we are never going to get a star. Should we just give him like three years, 90 million, just like really go all out and say, we got a really good player in the building. I wouldn't do that, but I think there are going to be teams that do. I think a more plausible option is like Toronto doesn't have a long-term plan. So they say, you know what? Maybe we give him one year and 20 million. Like we give him something good where he has a chance to get up back, get back out on the market, comes to a desirable team. I just, does it really make sense for him? Like, he clearly – I don't want him back on the Spurs. That's not a knock on him. That's just the fact that, like, Keldon Johnson is very good, and Lonnie Walker is very good, and DeJounte Murray and Derek White are very good. Like, I want to see them control the ball more. I think the Spurs want that too. I just don't really know where to put DeMar. Like, clearly he would be helpful somewhere. I mean, the Heat don't really need that sort of shot creation, although I guess having him with Hero and, and Robinson would be – better for from a spacing perspective but man like I, I honestly you could talk me in anything you could tell me he signs for the mid-level exception you could tell me he gets 90 million I honestly don't know what about a team like I was just looking through the teams like Memphis like kind of a team that needs a you know veteran kind of go-to score type of guy I don't know what they that already have their like. x-raptors they already have their all offense x-raptors name is Jonas Valanciunas yeah well, reunited, and it feels so good. I don't know. It just seems like I, I feel like that, like almost like you mentioned Hayward and like Charlotte, like a 
middle of the pack team that's like like you said we're never going to get a star but we could use a guy to kind of like give us legitimacy uh, he seems like that type of player to me when i hear give us legitimacy you know that the team that i think of is the next you know that oh. i think that they would think like yeah we need one more guy who basically has it's a better version of rj barrett although god willing rj barrett eventually shoots better than DeRozan does i don't know but i, I like the principle the issue is i just can't think of who that team would be like I don't like Memphis. I would probably want them to have a three point shooter next yeah. to John Morant. Like Orlando, we talk about as like, oh, they sorely need somebody to create offense. I don't think they can handle having another non shooter on their roster. That's so funny. I thought about Orlando and I was like, oh, God, that would just be such a disaster. You know, Michael Jordan is thinking about it. Like, I don't care that he has LaMelo and Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. You know, there's a part of them that's like, yeah, but Tamar is such a deep bag. He could just, I mean, look at these these pump fakes, these head and shoulder fakes, jab steps. I mean, he's got the whole thing. Somebody is going to pay Demar for the life of me. I don't know who it is, but I think that's I, wanna, I think that's the best way to look at it. Is yes. like we we didn't expect Hayward to get gajillion dollars last summer, but it just takes one team, and it's going to be somebody. The last two guys, and I want to talk about them in unison because they both sort of fall under the old point guard banner. The last two guys I want to talk about are Chris Paul, who did make the all-star team, and Mike Conley, who didn't. Mike Conley is going to be a free agent next summer. He went from somebody who we thought of as, wow, one of the worst contracts in the league. The Jazz traded for him, and he's worthless. Well, now that's obviously not the case. Mike Conley has been awesome this season. And Chris Paul, another guy who we thought he has an untradeable contract, well, he's been traded twice, and both of the teams that traded for him are pretty happy with the return on their investment. He has an opt-out after this season. My question to you is, A, how valuable do we think these guys are? How much do you want to invest in them? And B, like, do either of them think about leaving? Like, they both have it pretty good where they are. Is there any part of Chris Paul that's thinking, like, maybe I want to go to a team that I think has a better chance of winning a championship, but I guess Phoenix is not that far off at the moment? I don't know. Like, I just sort of want to open the floor to discussion on their free agencies. I think it's likely that both of them are back. But the main question on my mind, is Chris Paul going to pick up his option? And I'm starting to think the answer is no. That's so funny. I mean, we talked about this at the very beginning of the year, right? We were like, you know, if things go well and things are looking good. And look, the guy's an all-star again. And he's, you know, whether throwing away the Phoenix's bubble performance he's basically helped turn this team around and get them to a team that's looking at, you know, the top of the Western conference, which is really tough. Uh, I, I think Chris Paul's stock is at a, not an all time high, but it's pretty damn high. So uh, he's the president of the players association. If he's looking to cash in, I think that there's some incentive to help him do that. He'll probably create some new rule about, you know, his age, whatever season that he gets a special bonus or something like that. Um, I could certainly see him opting out. Uh, the only way I could see him changing teams is if somehow the Lakers do something wild and end up being able to get him for some some loophole or Honestly, something. Honestly, I think if the Lakers wanted to go down that route, they would have done it during the offseason, and they didn't. And honestly, I think they're regretting that right about now. Now, I don't know how enthused Chris Paul would be about that. The indication that, like, we're reading tea leaves here, but, like, basically when you see how much he enjoys working with young players— Maybe he didn't want to just glom onto a championship team. I really don't know, but I kind of feel like there was a window for that to happen, and then it didn't. 
what I really think is going to happen, if I'm totally honest, is Chris Paul is going to opt out and they're going to be coming off of this feel-good season where the Suns finally made it back to the playoffs for the first time since, I don't know, like the Franco-Prussian War. And Robert Sarver is going to come out and say, like, we want Chris Paul to retire as a son. Like, we are going to make sure that he's well-paid. And he's going to get something like two years, 60 million or something. Sorry, I'm still thinking about the Franco-Prussian War. That was an all-time You went reference. to Yale. You should know about this. I, I taught high school history, and I don't even know what the Franco-Prussian War is. So that's I don't that's even know if it exists. Right I just named two old, possibly warring nations. <laughs> Um, that makes it even better. But yeah, I think um, with Chris Paul, like I, I think that that he would have gone to the Lakers. I don't think that your idea that he wanted to work with young players. I'm not sure that ringless Chris Paul is going to turn down an opportunity to play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis under any circumstances. But I don't I don't know the guy. Okay, um, let me ask you a preference question yeah. before we get too deep. Let's say you were 35 and you hadn't won a ring. How much do you think about the circumstances of what that ring would mean? Like, would you really be thinking they just won? I want to go join on with them and get a guaranteed sec, get their guaranteed second and, you know, get a guaranteed one for myself. Or would you rather go to a team that hadn't won yet and be like, I was the reason they won. They needed me to get there. Personally, I understand people who would think the latter. I, yeah, I mean, I get it. I just think that, Honestly, it comes down to like we kind of talked about this with the whole Kevin Durant going to Golden State thing. And it's like, well, you know, that ring isn't going to mean as much as it would with Oklahoma City. And I think ultimately these guys just kind of think of the situation. And like I think Chris Paul, you know, obviously him and LeBron have always talked about wanting to play with each other. And I think that being able to play with him and Anthony Davis and kind of see what heights we can get our game to would outweigh any thoughts of like, well, this is a cheap ring or people won't see it the same way. So uh, that would that would be, you know, you said put myself in issues. That's how I would think. I would just think what's the best basketball situation for me. Um, but, you know, my Hall of Fame, oh, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. His status in the all-time NBA Hall of Fame pyramid is, I guess, in jeopardy, depending on whether he wins a title with the Lakers or the Suns. But I just, I mean, is he going to win a title with the Suns? Uh, well, I think that they're not going to be good enough by I the mean, time he's... The answer is probably no. I mean, yeah. probably no. We never know. Like, they're young. They could get better. Does a Gary Payton ring really mean much? Like the whole, you're 37 and you're the backup on a, you're the seventh man on a championship team. Does that mean much? Like if Chris Paul, let's say hypothetically, stays with Phoenix for two years, then he like signs a minimum deal with, I don't know, who's going to be the best team in two years. Maybe still the Lakers, probably not. I don't know, Dallas, New Orleans, one of these young teams. And he wins it as a backup, like would that really mean much? It would be cool for him. I'd be glad that he got to do it. But like, would we think of him differently? I wouldn't, but I know these are the things that debates hinge on sometimes, you know, it's like Chris Paul winning with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I don't think would be viewed as like him being the seventh guy. Like he'd be the third guy, which I well, think no, that's fine. obviously a different situation. Yeah. I'm talking about like in two or three years. Yeah. Like after he's, he's kind of over yeah. the hill and yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think we're the right people to be having this conversation because I think we also both recognize Chris Paul is damn good in the playoffs. Like this notion that he's a choker, it's kind of ridiculous and it's based on two series. And I only think one of them is really his fault, but whatever. I, I guess Josh Smith turned Chris Paul into a choker, but well, going back weird, to we, well, we, oh, for quick on Chris Paul, like we, we talk about this stuff as like, like we understand that nuance and like we live through it and we got to see it and we watch Chris Paul, but like 
if you're talking about legacy, like there's all these people like debating like where does Charles Barkley fit on the all-time pyramid or where does Carl Malone fit? And like these people for the most part haven't watched these guys play. So Chris Paul even having a ring, whether it was, you know, with the Lakers or with whatever team he ends up on as the seventh or eighth man, I do think the farther we get away from it, the more that it actually means something to say. Like he has a championship on his resume, even if you don't know the specifics of how he got it. I think that's true. And I don't I wish we could think about that a little more critically. Mike Conley doesn't have a championship ring either. He has a non-zero chance to win it in Utah this year, but that team is going to get really, really expensive if they extend him. Now, Donovan Mitchell signed his max extension already. He's staying. Rudy Gobert signed his max extension already. He's staying. Before you factor in Conley, they already have $132 million on the books next year. The way Conley's playing, that's another $20 million. Give or take, I, I don't know, just when you factor in his age, it's hard to tell, but you might have a $150 million payroll and you're in Utah. That's going to be really tough. Like, at what point do you start thinking we got to trade Derek Favors or we got to offload Joe Ingles or whatever it is? That team has some tough decisions to make. How enthused would you be about re-signing Mike Conley if you were Utah? This is such a tough one because he looked so bad at the beginning of last year and like, in the bubble, he looked better. This year, he looks phenomenal. Injury problems are obviously a concern. The guy's been injured a lot. Um, and then you have to look at what's the replacement, right? So if you're the Jazz and you're maxed out or capped out, whatever. I can whatever, tell you who the replacement is, and I know the only person who's excited about it is the person I'm about to name. It's Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> who's ready for Jordan Clarkson starter time? I love me some Jordan Clarkson, but that's just the scariest prospect. So, like, I think that's almost like how, you know, and, and you know, who's the Utah Jazz? Ryan Smith, he's just like, he's not afraid to spend some money, right? So I think you have to look at the Jazz as, like, like how close are we to a championship? This is probably the closest they've been in a long time, I would hope, if they continue, uh, you know, going down this road uh, since, what, like the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer days. Um, and they're they're really good. So I would think that they would be able to negotiate with Conley. And then again, then the question becomes like, is some other team going to swoop in and be like, Hey, we'll give you the max or whatever. But um, looking at what you could replace him with the, the prospect of losing him seems pretty dire. I think losing Mike Conley takes your championship odds from wherever they are now, 10%, 5%, somewhere in that, like not the favorite, but meaningfully close status down to zero if they just lose Mike Conley without replacing him that's it championship window not closed but closed until they figure something else out so they kind of have to re-sign him if they want to but like look at this roster man like Bogdanovich is 31 Ingles is 33 Favors is 29 like they've got to do it quickly because it could get pretty ugly in the next couple years and I don't know I guess for Utah is your goal like strictly are you thinking about this robotically and thinking, how do we absolutely maximize our championship odds? Or are you thinking, we just want to get close and have a chance? Because right now, they're close and they have a chance. But what presumably is going to happen afterward is this team is going to age. They're probably going to be worse next year and then worse the year after that. And you're kind of locking yourself into a situation where if you don't win it this year or maybe next year, your next five years after that might be kind of ugly. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the reason why they'll kind of use the time that they have this season to see how they do. You know, obviously they're not going to win, you know, 20 out of every 21 games for the rest of the season. But Says you. When, <laughs> maybe, maybe they will. When they get to the playoffs, like, how are we looking? Uh, you know, do we get upset in the first round? Do we give the Clippers a tough seven-game series? Do we beat the Lakers? You know, like, I think a lot of what you're going to do with Conley kind of hinges on how close you feel you are. And if it gets to the playoffs and it's clear that no matter how great you are in the regular season, you still don't have enough come playoff time to beat these superstar teams, that maybe changes your opinion on on how much you're willing to pay Conley to keep him around. So, you know, as much as we would love to make decisions now, I think a lot of, particularly in this situation, a lot of this depends on on just what feeling they get from the Jazz through their playoff run. I think in general, we really overrate how much teams think in the moment as far as salaries go for the regular season. Like at this point a year ago, we were talking about Montrose Harrell getting like $80 million in free agency. Remember that? Like we were talking Everybody's about like, him like, oh, getting, this guy is going to get yeah. paid. <laughs> like people were talking about like he's going to get, people are going to back up a brink truck for him. And now I watch Montrose Harrell every night. Montrose Harrell is way better this year than he was last year. The counting stats don't reflect that. But like his face-up game has improved so much. He is he does not need a pick and roll to score anymore. Like Montrez Harrell is genuinely one of the best, probably maybe aside from Jordan Clarkson, the single best bench scorer in the NBA. And I think in the right situation, could score 23, 24 points a game. He got a one-year mid-level exception with a player option. That's how damaging the playoffs can be. If Utah gets to the playoffs and Mike Conley isn't there, like he, this this might not even be a conversation. If they make the conference finals and Mike Conley is really good, or if they make the finals and Mike Conley's really good, he's probably there for the next three years at least. Yeah, and it and it works both ways, right? So like Conley would obviously be more inclined to look elsewhere if they get ousted in the first round and be more inclined to want to do everything he can to stay if they end up making a deep run and thinking that they're on the brink. So kind of goes both ways. But as you mentioned, Montrez Harrell, I was just wondering, like, do you remember where you were when you realize Montrez Harrell could score, because I grew up in LA and I watched a lot of like Clipper Clippers games, obviously, and like just from the look of him, his energy, he just seems like a guy who's like a rebounder, a hustle guy, you know. Yeah, I thought Kenneth Reed when I first saw him knocked down. Right, some of that you just the, the look and the, the hair and everything. Like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really appreciate how good Montrez Harrell had gotten until last year, and now that I'm watching him on a nightly basis. I feel like screaming, like, you people just don't get it, man. Like, this guy is fantastic. And yeah. a lot of it is improvement that's happened this year. Like, Montrez Harrell baseline jumpers this year are, like, they're as reliable as Giannis Dunks. Like, they never miss. It's awesome to watch. And yet, what I suspect is going to happen is we're going to get to the playoffs, and teams are just going to pick and roll Harrell to death, and he's going to hit free agency again, and he's going to get less money than he thinks he's going to get. And, like, what was it? Just, like, a couple weeks in the bubble? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just, like, torpedoed yeah. his entire, like, outlook. At there circumstances that I think teams should have considered. Like, he was out of shape for a totally justifiable reason. His grandma had died. He had just left the bubble. Like, I, I get it. I'm not – I wouldn't have blamed him for it. But I do think there are playoff concerns with him. And there are scalability concerns, too, right? Like, if he's getting $80 million, you expect him to start. And you expect him to score 25 points a game. That's hard to do when you're playing against starters and rather than playing against bench guys. 
So I get it to some extent, but like, I think we sometimes overreact to free agent values during the regular season. Then we get to the playoffs and we're like, oh, this got bad quick. If Montrez Harrell is in the East, just just pretend, make believe land. Is he in the All-Star conversation? So the, the scenario I'm envisioning right Julius now. Julius Randle and Nikola Vucevic made it. Just, let, just throwing that out there. Yeah, right. So the scenario I'm envisioning right now, we know that Charlotte was interested before he signed with the Lakers. If they had used their cap space on him and he's playing with Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball right now. Like, oh, my God. If he had improved in the ways that he has with the Lakers, I don't know how much of that is him and how much of that is being a Laker. But like, if he was this good playing with those guys and playing 32 minutes a game, I think he'd be having a better season than Julius Randle. From what from what Harold's saying, and you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. He's obviously very, very upset with the Clippers and the way that whole situation went down. But the way that Harold kind of tells it is like they they took the the handcuffs off me. Like they're letting me do these things that I could all I was always capable of doing. So it, it makes me believe that if he was in a place like Charlotte, he would be you know able to do these things as well. And playing with this Lino is Ball, the Frank Vogel's gracious, by the way. Like yeah. this is what Frank Frank Vogel's number one thing as a coach is. I trust my players 100%. And sometimes it's not a great idea, but sometimes you get a situation like last year where, I'm sorry, Rajon Rondo sucked all year. He was maybe the worst player in the NBA during the regular season, but Frank Vogel sucked with him. He never took him out of the rotation. And then you get to the playoffs and he's playoff Rondo again. Playoff so think that is Frank Vogel's best trade as a coach. And I think that's what what's helped make Montrezl Harrell so special this year. We got kind of off the rails here, though, because Montrez Harrell, despite, you know, maybe on a per minute basis, you could argue it, but he was not an all-star consideration. I think the Montrez Harrell conversation is a nice way to close it up. Maybe next year he's an all-star, Colin. You know what? You're making your pitch for the East. I'm kind of buying into this. I know. We talked about how, how much money we thought he was going to make at this point last year. So maybe, you know, he'll eventually end up getting that. Well, we don't know. That'll do. We'll, we'll eventually do a whole pot. You know what? Spoiler alert. We're having a very special Lakers guest later in the week. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of Harold talk on there. But I'm sure we're going to do a podcast closer to then where we talk about Harold's value because I'm just fascinated by it conceptually. But that's going to do it for us today. Go like, go subscribe, go review, go tie your friends to a chair, steal their phone, do all those things on their phone too. You know, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do to get the word out for us. Colin, pleasure as always. Read my stuff, read Colin's stuff on cbsports.com, and that is going to do it for us today.